you are on the Game Trail Podcast. All right, guys, we're on, and we're here with Ryan uh, with A3 Trophy Huntsman, and he's a guide out of uh, New Mexico and Arizona. And so, uh, Ryan, if you want to do like a quick introduction of your guide service and... Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, my name is Ryan Nagosik, and uh, I own A3 Trophy Hunts New Mexico, and uh, I have a, you know, a partner over there who helps me operate all of the procedures and, you know, hunting that we do in New Mexico. And then I work, you know, together guys over on the Arizona side, Chad, Jay, and Matt, and they kind of handle most of the Arizona stuff and I handle most of the New Mexico stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been working real well the last couple of years. Yeah. I can tell, uh, I'm looking at your Instagram for the listeners. Um, Ryan can be found under a three trophy huntsman, or hunts New Mexico or NM, and you can see uh, what Ryan guides and all. I mean, you guide it from looks like from bighorn sheep all the way down to the oryx out here in New Mexico. Yes, sir. We do, you know, just about everything that you know New Mexico has to offer. Yeah, uh, elk and deer and antelope. You know, we love doing you know sheep hunts as long as we can get tags. Um, we just got done doing a you know a month long Barbary sheep camp down on the Texas New Mexico border and. Did some off-range orcs, some on-range orcs, uh, some archery ibex. So yeah, we do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, keeps us busy throughout the year. Yeah. In uh, in New Mexico, do you pretty much guide the whole state? And same with Arizona. Yeah, your services. You know, in, in New Mexico, we we specialize in certain units. For example, you know, for the elk hunting, which is you know obviously one of the more important big game species over there, or the most popular anyhow. Um, we will work in, you know, the Gila units, which are 15, as you guys know, this 15, 16 D 16 a, uh, we work in 23, 13, 17. Uh, and then we get over there a little bit to the East in 34, 36 and 37. And then, you know, for the deer, we, we try to focus on, you know, the harder to draw units, five B's. Uh, the two C's, and then we'll do some stuff up in 2B and 2A, uh, you know, if the year warrants it. And uh, then we'll do some, you know, some coos deer stuff down in 23, 24, and 27. And then, you know, everything else is just pretty much exotic, and we go where they're at. If, uh, if somebody wants to try and book a hunt with you, do they have to sign up before they actually apply for their hunt, or if they draw, can they just give you guys a call and try and book something that way? You know, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, in you know, to get applied in the outfitter pool, obviously we have to have a contract in place beforehand. Um, so, you know, we got a handful of guys that do that. And then, you know, we don't take a whole bunch of hunters or a whole bunch of clients each year, you know, because the tags are so hard to get. Um, so, you know, through the general draw, we invite, you know, folks to call us up and, you know, inquire about our services and, you know, hopefully we can take, you know, them hunting as well. So either way they call us or, you know, have a, you know, a, a pre-signed contract before the draw and, you know, we cross our fingers and hope some folks draw some tags. Yeah. And I think in New Mexico, um, if you go through a guide service kind of increases your chances, right? It does. Uh, you know, obviously for the non-residents, <laughs> uh, it really helps, you know, in certain units, the odds of drawing are, you know, two to three times better. Now, with that being said, you might go from 2% in the general pool to 6% in the outfitters pool. So 
yeah, you know, you can take a positive spin on it or a negative spin, however you want to look at it. But uh, it definitely does help uh, because, for example, in some of the sheep hunts, you know, uh, in the outfitter pool, they round up. So if there's 25 tags, uh, there'll be two in the general pool. There'll be three in the outfitter pool. So there's actually an extra tag there. Um, same goes for every other species. You know, there used to be 25 tags in 2C. Uh, for the deer hunting, and we would get three in the outfitter pool, and there would only be two in the general pool. So uh, it does help. Uh, I, I really encourage folks to, you know, if if they don't have the time to scout or they don't mind going with a guide or an outfitter to, you know, increase your odds the best that you possibly can and give yourself a chance to draw these tags. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, does it work the same way in Arizona? It does not. Uh, it is basically just a draw process based on bonus points. And, you know, in Arizona, there are no landowner tags. There's a ton of public property. You know, there, there's so much forest, state and BLM, the private, you know, depending on you know, most of the units, it's wide open. So, uh, but it is a draw process. And, you know, for non-residents, unfortunately, you got to pay the $165 a year plus the application fee and, and then get a point. And, you know, some of these highly sought after tags, you know, they take a long time to draw unless you get lucky and pull one in a random draw. In the random draw, yeah. I've always asked this question. Um, which system do you like the best between uh, the point system and the random draw that we have here in New Mexico? I like New Mexico. Uh, I really do because, you know, the difference, in my opinion, is you've got a chance to draw every year. And... You know, that gives folks hope from year to year versus Arizona. If they draw an elk tag after, you know, 16, 17 years and before they implemented point guard, you had to hunt your tag. And if it was a horrible year, that was just too bad. And then, you know, some folks are in their 60s or 70s when they draw a tag and they don't want to wait another 15 or 16 years and, and keep paying that kind of money year after year. Uh, so I, I think New Mexico has a really good system uh, you know we've had guys draw some of the premier units back to back um, of course we've had the other side of the coin where you know folks aren't drawn you know in, in the last five six seven years but they still have a chance and if they don't want to apply they don't worry about losing bonus points or anything like that they can just you know they feel froggy and they want to go elk hunting in new mexico they throw their name in the hat if they get drawn great if they don't you know at least you know, they're only out 65 bucks plus the application fee and they move on to the next state. That is true. That is true. Um, so would you say most of your clientele are out-of-staters? Yes, I would say, you know, 98% of them are from out-of-state. And, you know, we did take uh, a New Mexico resident elk hunting this year and we did take one on a on a... Uh, sheep hunt this year, uh, a desert sheep, and then we also took uh, a, a female deer hunter up in 2C who was also a resident. So every once in a while we'll get some residents, but for the most part, uh, a lot of folks come from you know back east or the Midwest. That seems to be you know uh, where most of these these folks are coming from. Anyhow, yeah. a lot of them just basically more focused in on uh, let's say like on elk or something like that. Is that what yeah. your, your main... We do get a lot of folks... Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to <clears throat> cut a, you off. You're good. We do get a lot of folks that, that inquire about elk. That seems to be the most sought-after animal down here because, you know, it's it's hunting the Southwest, and, and a lot of folks want to experience that type of hunting. 
and you know an elk is is on everybody's bucket list i mean heck that's why i came down here uh, <laughs> back in the 90s but we do get a lot of folks that do want to apply for sheep just because there is no point system and they feel like you know they might need that desert or they might need that rocky to complete their slam or you know whatever they're after uh, and it just gives them a chance to draw so we do get quite a few folks that do want to apply for sheep but elk seems to be the big ticket yeah so on on the elk how can i i, I want to kind of like ask when you get a lot of these uh non-residents coming in on an elk hunt what is the number one thing what you notice of your of your hunters coming in like being unprepared physically mentally their guns not sighted in properly do you do you fall and have issues with a lot of that stuff you know it not not as much as one would think i think the biggest issue that we we have and you know it's it's nothing against the people that are coming from out of state because you know the altitude is what it is and no matter what kind of shape you're in it's going to take you a day or two to adjust right that seems to be the biggest concern or the biggest issue that we deal with uh especially guys from you know wisconsin or minnesota and it, it really hits them hard uh for the most part they're down for you know the minute they get there they can feel it and you know it doesn't take them that long to get acclimated as long as they're drinking a lot of water and uh, no matter how hard you prepare, it just seems like, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take its toll on you for at least the first day or so. And then, you know, the second issue that we deal with is, you know, hunting out west, and there's obviously a certain ethics involved here, but in hunting out west, it seems like the distances that we can, we can shoot, whether it's archery or, or firearm, is obviously, you know, a lot further than, you know, the thick woods of Wisconsin or Pennsylvania. So guys... Or gals, they don't get a lot of opportunity to practice long-range shooting from you know where they're based out of, uh, with a bow or with a with a rifle, because a lot of them are just tree stand hunters, and 30 yards is a long shot. So, just getting them prepared to shoot as far as they possibly can and still feel comfortable is something that I try to prepare everybody for. And you know, if, if 30 yards is their max with an archery with bow and arrow, then then we'll hunt to their capabilities. And if they're you know only good out to 200 yards. Uh, with a rifle then that's what we'll do so but other than that I, you know usually everybody gets there unless there's a problem uh you know with an airplane or a gun gets bumped or a bow gets broken in the case it seems like most folks are are coming out and they're they're ready to rock and roll they're prepared yeah um what else should these guys expect when they come out hey. here <laughs> it seems like or i guess there's a lot to expect right <laughs> it, it seems like one thing i i have noticed over the years is you know i'll talk to folks on the phone and and, and you know kind of let them know prior to applying what they're getting into as far as you know the elk and, and deer and what we have comparative to arizona and utah nevada you know we have great elk herd we have you know really good bulls uh and I just try to get them to understand that, you know, a true 330, 340 bull is a big bull. And I hear a lot of, well, I've already got a 330 and I'll have them send me a picture and it's, you know, it's a 300. Um, I, I do get a lot of that. <laughs> so when yeah. they get out here and they get a 330 or a 340 bull in front of them, it's like, you know, the biggest thing they've ever seen. And of course they come into camp and a lot of folks want, you know, 
350 or better, uh, 370 or better, 380 or better. And, you know, you just got to walk them through the process and, and, and let them know that, you know, there's not one of those behind every bush, no matter what state you're hunting in. Yeah. I know you, it seems real, um, I think social media kind of puts the bad side to it, but taints you this picture of there's these big 400s out in, you know, the White Mountains of Arizona or the Mogollon Rim or down in the Gila. And I think reality is just not there. I mean, if you look at the numbers, I think Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation put it out there that it's like one in like a thousand bulls that might be a 400. And so yeah, like, and I, I would agree with that. I mean... Uh, Arizona has some really big bulls and, you know, there's big bulls in every unit. Uh, and there's also big bulls in every unit that has elk in New Mexico, in my opinion. But, you know, a true legitimate 350 inch bull is a really, you know, good looking elk. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, social media has, in my opinion, kind of put a dent in all that just because, you know, as our job, you know, being outfitters and guides, we want to post the big stuff that we, we were fortunate enough to hunt and take. So you don't see a lot of, you know, dead or kill shots with, you know, forks and spikes and, and, you know, things like that. So yeah. it's always the big stuff, uh, for the most part. So it just kind of paints a picture in everyone's, you know, mind's eye that they're going to come out here and that's all they're going to see is, is, is big, big animals. They want one that so-and-so killed, you know, five years ago, it's all over social media. They want one just like that. Um, and so it's, you know, it, as long as you spend the time with each client and, and, and let them know what they're getting into before they come out, most guys or gals that do come out are, are you know, pretty dang ready to go and, and just have a good time and, and hopefully kill the biggest elk or deer or whatever they're after. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, that's what we all want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, talking about a 350 bull, me and Brian run a unit down south. And uh, he shot uh, a 350 bull. We, we were just, you know, elk hunting and uh, during the rut. And um, we knew it was a big bull. We just didn't know how big. And uh, after we got him back home, we started putting tape on him. And what did he finally come out to? Yeah. And when you walk up on a bull that big, yeah. When you walk up on a bull that big, like you were saying, Ryan, that you don't realize the gravity of how big a 350 bull is and it is no. a big bull for sure and when they grow on you after they've hit the dirt it's even better <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> yeah, you don't realize you walk up and you're like holy cow this guy is huge yep, yeah that's a good feeling to have yeah and no matter what you're hunting whether it's antelope or deer or elk uh, it's it's you know it's it's always better when they're bigger when you walk up versus smaller, because that's when, you know, things go sideways. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously the elk's the big one here in New Mexico. Um, what else, what would you say your favorite other animals to hunt in New Mexico to guide on out here? You know, personally, I'm into the elk and the deer. Um, I would have to say those those two are my favorite. I really enjoy going on, you know, the sheep hunts, whether it's desert, rocky, uh, even the Barbary sheep. They're a true sheep hunt, in my opinion. I mean, they're no joke. It's, uh, it's it dang sure will will humble you. Uh, so those are always a good time. You know, the ibex, it's you know, it's really fun. Um, but you know, it's not my 
4K, it's not my specialty. I've been on quite a few Ibex hunts, but some of the guides that I use are just head over heels over those things, and they're really good at it. So um, that's what they kind of specialize in. They look forward to that hunt every year, uh, especially the archery hunt. And I mean, I'm sure you guys know the success rate is is really really small on that hunt. Yeah, it, it can make uh, it can make the toughest fella feel pretty weak <laughs> at the end of a ten day hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the the orcs? Do you like the? I mean, you know, orcs is is we really like the off range hunts. Um, I mean, the on range are, are fun. It's some of the best tasting game meat that I've ever tasted. I mean, I love it, and and most folks that have done it. Heck, they all want to come back and apply for, you know, the McGregor or the non-once-in-a-lifetime hunts. You know, they'll, they'll apply for broken horn hunts, off-range hunts, uh, just because they've done it once and they've had such a good time. I mean, those things are, you know, over the years, they've gotten a little more wily. And, and you know, if you can see their face, they can see you, and they're not going to stand around. So they're not the <laughs> easiest things to actually, you know, sneak up on. Um, and, you know... Finding a big mature bull over 36 is 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 a trophy in my opinion for sure. Uh, and you know if a fella or a gal wants a 40 incher, nine times out of ten you're probably looking at shooting a female or a cow uh, to get to that 40 inches. But you know I would say 80% of the public doesn't know the difference between a you know a bull or a cow right. if you had them mounted on the wall. Yeah, that's true. So what would what would be the best process for somebody if they're a non-resident or resident looking to book a hunt just they're sitting there they're first-time hunters and they're like you know what i want to get into hunting and they contact you what would be the like a process or information where you'll be able to give them to to help them guide them through well you know first off when someone calls it's kind of the first question that i ask everyone is have you been out west hunting you know what's your experience like i you know what animal are you looking for? And, you know, if they say we're, we're after an elk, we just, we just want to shoot an elk. Um, you know, that's, that's great. You know, just shooting an elk is, is, is awesome. But unfortunately the units that we, we hunt, you know, it's not the easiest to draw. So, and if you do draw a tag, you know, we have a certain standard that we kind of want to live by. We don't want to be shooting, you know, a bunch of small elk or, you know, we want to shoot a mature elk with, with some good age and, and, you know, decent set of horns, obviously. So I just let everybody know that, uh, you know, what it takes in comparison uh, to, you know, whitetail hunting uh, back in the Midwest. You know, it's a different type of setup physically and mentally. Uh, you know, I just walk them through every aspect from, you know, what kind of footwear, what kind of socks, uh, how to layer up, what to prepare for as far as weather, because you guys know, I mean, it's extreme. One day it'll be, you know, 30 degrees, the next day it'll be 80 degrees. And yeah. so you got to plan for all that. And unfortunately, you got to bring everything you own on these hunts just to be prepared. But, um, you know, I just let them know every little detail I can possibly think of and, and you know, for the for the uh, application and you know i'll walk them through start to finish uh you know at least get them an, an account and a username uh in new mexico or arizona and you know apply them based on what they're after uh you know if they're 
if they have any type of physical handicaps, you know, obviously you're not going to want to put them in for, you know, a 16A or a 16B wilderness hunt um, if, you know, it's they're not going to have any fun doing it. So, you know, we try to try to treat everybody uh, individually and, you know, answer as many questions as, you know, they can possibly think of. And that way they're educated enough, in my opinion, to, you know, at least have somewhat of an idea of what they're getting into before they apply. Um, you know, especially for the kids, that's what I feel like we really need to have more of over here in Arizona and New Mexico is to get more more of the youth involved. We have some of the best youth hunts in the country, in my opinion, over here in New Mexico. And, and I just don't see enough kids applying. And so, I, you know, every time I do talk to somebody new that I haven't visited with, with before, I, I do ask them, you know, if they have any any children or, you know, young adults that they want to get introduced into hunting because it's, it's, it's a darn good time. Yeah, we've heard that um, a couple times that uh, that is funny from out-of-staters saying that we actually have a, Mexico actually has a pretty decent uh, youth program for the youth. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, the deer hunts are just phenomenal. I mean, this year they're November 23rd to the 1st of December, and they added another hunt up in northern New Mexico and 2B. Um, so the 5B hunt, the 2B hunt for kids is is in my opinion could be one of the better hunts in the state <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, if if i know there's a lot of adults and grown-ups that wish they would flop the dates uh, uh but <laughs> yeah. in my opinion I, you know there, it's kind of a double-edged sword sure i understand why but you know some of those those some of those earlier rifle hunts can be really tough and if you're not showing a youngster you know a fair amount of game they get bored pretty quick and you want to make sure every experience for these these young folks is is a good one and so you know and, and they're not giving out a whole bunch of tags like in 5b obviously there's they're not cranking out a ton uh, in 2b on that new hunt there this year yeah there's there's quite a few tags and and you know i'm not sure what that's going to do to that unit but <clears throat> you know I've, everybody has their own opinion but it's going to be good this year <laughs> so uh, I think whoever gets lucky and draws those those youth tags in either one of those units with the moisture and everything that we've already received, it's just going to be a great year all the way around for elk, deer, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's looking real good. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a weird, I don't know if it's a weird question, but um, from Arizona to us, you know, the Gila and the White Mountains, do you think the, these big fires have taken a, have been good or bad for the, the game? You know, I, I like the fire, like, you know, you guys know 16D pretty much burnt the whole darn unit last year. Um, in New Mexico, it was, it was a tough one. You know, 27's had some burns, one in Arizona, it's burnt everywhere. And I mean, the animals that are, that are coming out of, of, of these units after a burn is just amazing. Um, you know, I think a good quick burn like what we had on the Gila last year granted you know last year in 16d it wasn't the best there was there's some decent elk in there but it was nowhere near what it used to be and then the drought condition on top of that made it even worse but uh i think you know 16d in the next three to five years is going to be back on top um it's it's got the potential i mean the elk were already starting to mob back in there um, towards the end of the, the last rifle hunt last year. And, uh, you know, I, I think a burn 
is very beneficial. It's mother's mother nature's way of cleaning up and sorry about that sorting okay. through all the stuff. And, you know, it, I just think it's 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 a good thing. Obviously, if it happens during a hunting season, that's not a good thing. And to the poor, poor folks that actually draw a tag and they find out their unit burnt to the ground, that's that's not good for anybody. But for years to come in the long run, it's going to be beneficial, in my opinion. Yeah, there's a unit that we like that we got turned on to that uh, has been heavily burned, and um, a lot of locals say that the deer population uh, really exploded finally, or starting to explode, in a good way. Um, oh yeah, and I I know that the animals come from a long ways away. Um, you know, I'm not a biologist or anything, but you know, it's just the things that I've seen over the years. It's just it seems to just kind of pull all those animals from other units and. You know, that, that new graze, that new feed that pops up uh, is just, I mean, it just packs on the pounds and the inches, and it's, it's, it's just awesome. And so I'm pretty excited to see, uh, you know, what, how the season shapes up for this coming year, you know, once the snow goes away and, and we can get out there and get in the forest and, and do some glassing and looking around, I'll be pretty excited to see, you know, what showed up and, you know, how everything looks. But, uh, you know, the one in couple of fires we had in Arizona a few years ago I mean those were giant fires and you know it changed the way you had to hunt the unit for sure but I mean it just the results kind of speak for themselves they've just been pulling out a lot of elk uh, big deer in in that particular unit and you know they they're really liberal with the tags <laughs> so <laughs> uh, in a sense so it doesn't seem to matter how many tags are pumping in there every year it's producing big quality animals and i know that in my opinion that the burn has a lot to do with that so you know it gets so thick in there and if it doesn't burn you know it's hard to get at the feed it's obviously hard to hunt because it's so thick you can't pick it apart and you know just the the nutrition isn't there for the animals to to get to so um a good fire in my opinion, is always beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and we've, we've talked about that, you know, like um, a while on fire, they, they call it a dirty burn. And in a firefighter's aspect, dirty burn is, is bad because it's just sporadic. It's sprawled out. It's everywhere. But in a hunter's aspect, I think it's the best fire for nature because it's not just wiping out. It's it's getting different areas and spotting them, you know, so you got a whole bunch of random spot fires and it's basically frying, burning up these little areas. So it's making a lot of parks, you know, throughout the hillside and stuff like that. So, and a lot of people are always sitting there talking, you know, oh, hunt the burns, hunt the burns, hunt the burns. And yeah, before I used to always sit there and be like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Why would you want to hunt a burned area? Everything's open. But yeah, it's all that new vegetation was coming in all the new minerals because i believe the fire when it burns it actually puts some type of mineral into the ground and then all that fresh lush green grass and stuff grows up and the game just love it oh for sure and you know obviously if it burns hot you get a different type of vegetation that pops up more of a weed um and you know i think that's that happens primarily in those areas that just get completely nuked 
which, you know, you won't see any animals in, but those fast body burns that just kind of clean up the forest floor and they don't burn so hot that they kill the trees. They'll obviously black them up and make everything ugly. But you go in there after a rain and those green shoots are coming up just as just as quick as they went away. And it's it's. You know, for, for, for us, it's amazing because you can see you can glass from a long ways away and, and pick animals apart. Um, and, and for the game, obviously, it's, you know, they go there for a reason. Uh, it, it puts out some, some minerals and some nutrients that uh, they definitely crave and need to, to keep the, you know, to keep them fat and happy. Yeah. Speaking of glassing, what, what, uh, not brand, but basically, I can't even think of a word to say here a power like zoom power do so, you guys usually basically use for like a 10 by 50 10 by 42s you know i carry the 1042s with the rangefinder around my neck all the time i glass with like 1556s and just you know to locate and then i throw up a you know, I have a really big spotting scope, a 95 millimeter spotting scope that'll dial it in. And I do it for everything from, from elk to deer to sheep. I mean, every species we hunt, um, I don't particularly care for, you know, the big giant binos, uh, just because of the weight and I pack everything I can and carry it with me all the time. And if you're hiking to the top of some of these big mountains, you know, the older you get, the harder, the harder it is to get all that glass and stuff up to the top. So uh, I, I feel like, you know, 15s are sufficient uh, just about anywhere. I mean, there's some stuff on, you know, in Arizona and New Mexico, the Arizona Strip, you know, 15s, you seem like you're underpowered. You need something big, big. Um, but for the most part, <clears throat> uh, to pick out elk and deer, 15s are good. And then throw the spotting scope, you know, on to, to pick it apart and really evaluate it. And then obviously, you know, the digiscoping and the phone scoping and, and videoing, uh, allows you to do that even you know even further because you can zoom in and really you know watch the video back and forth front to end and pick apart an animal and and you know figure out get pretty close as to whether or not it's going to work or not as far as you know taking yeah. it down we, we've talked about that's one thing what we don't have in our, our arsenal is a good spotting scope you know i have a, i have an old one you know and i sit there and it, it's just it's old you know, I believe it was my grandpa, uh, my grandfather's, and you know, I mean, it still works, but trying to look through that thing, it's a pain in the butt. So we're always no, sitting I, there, I, yeah, <laughs> we're always sitting there talking about we need to get ourselves a darn good spotting scope because we have the binos, and that's gotcha. usually what we do. We just go up to the hill, we sit there with our binos, and you can't quite make it out enough to determine on what it is. Yeah, no, for sure, and. You know, I think the most important tool that I have is my glass. Out of everything I own in the guide world is my glass. And, you know, it's one of the requirements we have for guides is, you know, you don't have to have the best uh, if you, you know, you, but you have to have something um, because time is valuable. And, you know, if it's a five day hunt and you've spotted a deer or an elk three miles out and you can't really get enough gauge on him with what you have, the only other way is to go get closer. And, you know, if you get closer and you waste a half a day getting in there and it's not what you're after, you know, you sure could have saved some time if you have, you know, a quality type spotting scope or some type of glass to where you can, you know, evaluate it from that far. Now, I'm not saying three miles is, is the number, but that's just an example. Uh, it sure saves the boot leather and your knees and everything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Is there a, partic a particular time of year that you like to hunt more than another part of the time of the year? You like, I mean, obviously, well, I don't like being cold, but um, <laughs> September you got obviously, the rut, obviously. But yeah, the the fall is obviously amazing. I look forward to it every year. Um, and then you know, I actually enjoy going out in the summer. You know, I'm not hunting other than you know trying to pick up horns, but uh, I really like you know the fall hunts. Uh, the archery elk is is probably one of my favorite hunts of all time and then by the time i get done with elk i can't wait to go to deer camp um something about those cold days and watching deer chase does around is is always a good time um you know I, I, the february hunts that we just got done um are you know really fun as well it seems to be a little bit windy and i'm not a fan of the wind oh yeah <laughs> uh, you know, 70 to 80 miles an hour. And to, this year was worse than, than most years that we can remember, but, uh, it's something to do in February and it's a lot of fun. So, you know, I would have to probably say that the, the fall hunts for, for elk are probably my favorite time of the year when, when everything's changing, um, you know, leaves are turning colors and, and the elk are bugling and it's just, it's a good time to be outside. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, on the Arizona side, do you think it's, uh, it seems to be acoustic are a lot more prevalent over there compared to Mexico. Is that your, in your uh, experience? You know, Arizona has just about everything that's big. Um, we've got some really big whitetails. Uh, and I feel um, that the quality is a little bit better in Arizona for the coos deer than it is in New Mexico. And I'm not saying New Mexico has junky coos deer by any means, because there's some big deer that get taken every year, um, some really big deer. But overall, um, you know, there's, in my opinion, so many more whitetail in Arizona from, I mean, all the way up Unit 6A, Unit 8, all the way down to the Mexico border. I mean, they're scattered throughout so many units. And so you've got a lot more options and a lot more areas to hunt for, for the coos deer versus New Mexico, where, you know, there's just a handful of units tucked up on that western side of the state yeah. that, you know, affords you to go coos deer hunting. Um, there's good numbers in the units for sure, and there's some big deer, uh, but I just don't think that the quality is quite as good as in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. I was just kind of curious because you don't hear locals here in the state talk a whole lot about the coos compared to arizona and probably no. you're probably right it's about the numbers there's just more of them it seems like more units carry them yeah there's more hunts there's more units uh you know there's there's you know you can archery on over the counter there's there's all kinds of options in arizona um and you know i get a lot of folks that call and ask you know if we have coos deer in new mexico and it's gotten more popular. Um, I think I've talked to more folks who are interested in coos deer hunting this year than I ever have. So it's taken on, and I think a lot of people who experience a coos deer hunt always want to go back and do another coos deer hunt. Uh, something about those goofy little things that just intrigues people. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, yeah, and because we want to, we want to hunt them. I know. Exactly. <laughs> we just haven't yet. We've been watching videos in Arizona and doing all that. You know, just looking into it because it's they're cool. You know, you're like. That's a little deer I and I want to go shoot one. <laughs> oh yeah, they're amazing. The hardest part for me is getting guys or gals from like the Midwest to come down and hunt. They're like, why would I want to shoot a deer that has a rack like that when we've got white tailed deer up here that are, you know, three times the size? And 
you know, it's just hard to, to get them to envision that it's a different type of deer. It's, it's, it's completely different. So, um, you get guys or gals that walk into the office and see a mounted coos deer, you know, a 110 inch coos deer head. And they're like, wow, why would you mount that? You know, they think it's an Eastern whitetail, but, uh, so, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's just kind of the way it is. And, but it's gotten a lot more popular. And like I said, I got a lot more people applying for it this year. And uh, Arizona, on that side of the state, there it's a big item, uh, a big ticket item. A lot of people want to want to go coos deer hunting in Arizona. Yeah, I think it's definitely uh, starting to pick up some momentum. I hope that helps you guys out over there on the Arizona side. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, Ryan, we uh, really appreciate talking with you. We're gonna have to <clears throat> cut a little short. Um, we'd like to, you know definitely hit you up again maybe in a month or so and talk about the hunts coming up and uh and what to expect and stuff like that if you don't mind yeah absolutely anytime cool. i enjoyed it and uh, uh i appreciate it and anything i can do for you guys just let me know